Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that's here to talk about what love lives look like in quarantine. Today we have Zoe, Callan, and Laura. Um, And before we dive into today's episode, we wanted to make the announcement that we are recruiting new hosts. Yes. Yay. So if you you know someone uh, or if you feel like you are that someone um, who could be a good fit to join our group, like you must have a deep commitment to socialist feminism. Um, Must not be a cis man. Yes, you must not be a cis man. That's important. (laughs) Um, You must have at least like six hours a week generally to dedicate to this project. Um, Yeah, and you got to be willing to work in a collaborative way. Um, our application deadline was just extended, so it's now due May 25th. You can find the info on how to apply um, on our Twitter and our Instagram. We have the links up there. If you are currently able to write or enter something into an internet, uh, it is bit.ly slash 3 F-I-H-H-3-U, or you could just go, you know, to our socials and click the link, which I imagine would be easier. (laughs) You know, you do you. You do (laughs) you. Cool. Well, we hope to see your application soon. Thanks to everybody who's already applied. Yes. Yes. Well, it's time for another installment of our world-renowned series, Revolutionary Romance. But this time, it's Quarantine Edition! (laughs) Um, We've said it before on all the other ones, and we'll say it again. The Coven is not liable for heartbreak. Mm. However, we have gotten, like, several DMs about how our advice has helped people, which is really fun to hear. So if we have revolutionized your love life, let us know. We like that. (laughs) (laughs) And also thank you to everyone who was open and vulnerable with us and sent us your questions and stories and all of the things. Yeah. Um, to start off, okay, I wanted to read a passage from this book. The book is called Feminism, um, but it, it's like different writings. And there is um, an essay that Clara Zetkin wrote about her interactions with Lenin, who was a class reductionist. You hate to see it, folks. Mm. Um, but I mean, I just want to read it and then you'll know why. I don't really want to explain it too much beforehand. So this is so this is Clara quoting Lenin. I've heard strange things about that from Russian and German comrades. I must tell you what I mean. I understand that in Hamburg, a gifted communist woman is bringing out a newspaper for prostitutes and is trying to organize them for revolutionary struggle. Now Rosa Luxemburg, a true communist, felt and acted like a human being when she wrote an article in defense of prostitutes who have landed in jail for violating a police regulation concerning their sad trade. Ugh, Lenin. They're unfortunate double victims of bourgeois society, victims first and its accursed system of property, and secondly of its accursed moral hypocrisy. There's no doubt about this. Only a coarse-grained and short-sighted person could forget this. 
To understand this is one thing, but it is quite another thing. How shall I put it? To organize prostitutes as a special revolutionary guild contingent and, contingent and publish a trade union paper for them. Are there really no industrial working women left in Germany who need organizing, who need a newspaper, who should be enlisted in your struggle? Before I could answer, Clara writes, Lenin continued. The record of your sins, Clara, is even worse. <laughs> I have been told that at the evenings arranged for reading and discussion with working women, sex and marriage problems come first. They are said to be the main objects of interest in your political instruction and educational work. I could not believe my ears when I heard that. The first state of proletarian dictatorship is battling with the counter-revolutionaries of the whole world. The situation in Germany itself calls for the greatest unity of all proletarian revolutionary forces so that they can repel the counter-revolution, which is pushing on. But active communist women are busy discussing sex problems and the forms of marriage. And then Clara writes, I interpose that where private property and the bourgeois social order prevail, questions of sex and marriage gave rise to manifold problems, conflicts and suffering for women of all social classes and strata. As far as women are concerned, the war and its consequences exacerbated existing conflicts and suffering to the utmost precisely in the sphere of sexual relations. So, mm. yeah, I like kind of love this. There's a lot of, it's a few pages and I really like how she writes about it. And also at the very end, um, the conclusion of this like meeting that they had, um, Lenin picks up her coat and says, you should dress more warmly. He suggested um, soliciously, Moscow is not Stuttgart. You need someone to look after you. Don't catch a cold. Goodbye. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> that's why we're here to talk about sex. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like kind of love it. I don't know. Yeah. No, I also love it. I mean, <laughs> she's she's just like talking about how s stupid he is in some ways, which I love. Yeah, and in between a lot of the quotes, she's just like, I tried to say something, but he would not let me. <laughs> oh my God. Like, of course. Right. Yeah. Lennon, come on, man. You did so many things right, and then so many things so, so wrong. Exactly. That's yes. why it's like, it's mixed, but yeah. His... But get your shit together. Yeah. Honestly, let him get it together. Get it together. <laughs> Vladimir. Um, I thought that I would read at least part of this um, manifesto from this um, book of manifestos that Kellen got me for my birthday. Hey, hey. Um, <laughs> and this manifesto is called Futurist Manifesto of Lust. It was written in 1913 by Valentine de Saint Point. Lust, when viewed without moral preconceptions and as an essential part of life's dynamism, is a force. Lust is not, any more than pride, a mortal sin for the race that is strong. Lust, like pride, is a virtue that urges one on, a powerful source of energy. Lust is the expression of a being projected beyond itself. It is a painful joy of wounded flesh, the joyous pain of a flowering. And whatever secrets unite these beings, it is a union of flesh. It is the sensory and sensual synthesis that, le that leads to the greatest liberation of spirit. 
It is the communion of a particle of humanity with all the sensuality of the earth. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> that was beautiful. That's so good. Um, so that was cool. <laughs> Um, did you want to read anything else or should we start the questions? Yeah, let's let's jump in. Okay, cool. The first question we got says, what are y'all's experience with birth control and especially the copper IUD? Kind of a sex question, right? Yeah, I honestly, totally. I love this question. Yeah. Um, we have horrible sex education in the US and I think that it is really important to talk about these things so that we can have healthy and safe sex lives. So... Um, I'll start off. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about IUDs and I know that you guys have experience with them as well. So because the question specifically asked about the copper IUD, I will say something about the copper IUD, a hot take. Um, (laughs) It actually, I'm sure it is the best thing for people. Some people are really sensitive to taking any kinds of hormones. I have the Mirena IUD, which is low dose progesterone. And I've had a couple of them since I was 19 and it's great for me. Um, when I was deciding about them though, I did a lot of research and the things with the copper IUD are one, it can make like cramps and PMS symptoms worse. And I already have pretty severe PMS. So that was not, did not feel like an option, but also just because copper doesn't have hormones, doesn't make it like a natural birth control as a lot of people, um, think that it is. Copper is a natural metal, yes. Putting a piece of copper into your uterus, not natural. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's there, there have been a lot of reports of um, copper toxicity. Like the reason a copper IUD works is because copper is toxic. Um, and so it is like a reported thing that people have had toxicity from it and had symptoms, but there's no conclusive studies because there's not really conclusive studies about a lot of things that have to do with. Um, reproductive health. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing. Maybe it's still the best option for you, but I would like really urge people to do research and look into that. I know that I'm someone who is sensitive to metals, like when I buy cheap jewelry or anything. So, um, if that is something for you, that also might be a reason why you would really not want to fuck around with putting copper in your uterus, but it's a personal decision. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) the other thing with, the like quote unquote natural birth control. Birth control's not natural. No matter what kind you use, if you're taking birth control, you're altering your body. That's literally the point. I mean, it's <laughs> to change what could potentially like naturally happen. So, which isn't, I mean, that's not a bad thing. That's okay. Like I love my IUD. I definitely would recommend them. Yeah. And there's, if you there's, have access and everything, there's no real, <clears throat> um, like, I want to be clear when you say that, that like I sometimes like my mom, for example, gets really freaked out that on the marina, I don't get my period at all. Um, but the thing is, like, there's yes, that's not natural, but it's fine. Like you it's not a problem for your body to not menstruate. It's not a problem, like especially for me, who is someone who has endometriosis, like it's actually really good that I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I just mean as compared to like, yeah. I was just going to say your mom eventually won't get her period if she's already not not getting her period. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not not a bad thing. It's just like when people talk about the copper as like this natural option, none of it is like 
yeah, no matter what you are choosing to take something or insert something. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's just more about like comparing them. Yeah. And, and I would say just because you're saying like, what's your experience with birth control? We're talking about IUDs right now, which for anyone who isn't clear on what an IUD is, because mm-hmm. honestly, like maybe that's not really relevant information wherever you're at. Um, it's an insertable uterine device. Is that what it stands for? Insertable uterine device? Yeah, that seems right. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> no, I, I think so. I, I think like so, yeah. <laughs> we'll check ourselves. But um, yeah, I think... Intrauterine, it's a, device, I think? yeah, it's intrauterine. Intrauterine, okay, cool. Yes. You were close, so but you, it is insertable. So yeah, I mean, yeah. So what <laughs> happens if you want to know a little bit about um, reproductive anatomy of people who happen to have bodies that are like mine? Um, it's like you have your your vagina, and then it hits the cervix and behind the cervix is your uterus and i love this full anatomy lesson and so the iud sits behind the cervix in your uterus um where typically you know you have your uterine lining that builds and then sheds over your 28 day cycle um that's where a baby grows if and when you want a baby to grow there um so this device, it's, it looks like a T gets inserted in the uterine lining and it kind of attaches to the side like that. And it either um, distributes a small amount of hormones like with the Mirena or the other one that's for like teens. I forget what it's called. Yeah, there's like the, the Kyle, Skyler? Skyler. Like. There's, a, there's a few new ones that I don't know that much about because they didn't exist like when I got mine. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, there are a couple other ones. Yeah, and Skyla, Liletta, and Marina are the three main types of progestin IUDs. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then, but I did want to say, um, because I know a lot of my friends who are like thinking that they might want to do the copper one because they've had a really bad time with oral contraceptives. Um, and I just wanted to say that I am also a person that had a really bad time oh, same. with oral <laughs> contraceptives. It made my moods totally wild. And being on the marina, it's not like that at all. It's not yeah. even close to that. Um, yeah, I also the I I was on the pill like on and off a couple of times since I was fifteen because I had such bad BMS and it affected my mental health like so severely. Yeah. So um, that to, all that to say is it's a very personal choice, but if your nervousness around hormones is from your experience with oral contraceptives, I hear you, I see you, I think we all do, uh, and the Mirena, which we all have, <laughs> is, <laughs> is totally different. Um, it is worth noting that um, copper IUDs do last longer. Mm, yeah, um, that is true. Yeah. They, Mirena is, um, what is it, like up to seven years? Seven, it's five. Yeah. Oh. It was five, and then now they've decided it's seven. Even um, if I had it in or before? Yeah, they've, so. <laughs> so that means that I was going to have to get it mo- changed this year. No, you're good. Um so there were there were studies in Europe because when I got my second one, it was when I was in Denmark because I could get it for free. Um, 
but basically they've realized that it's effective for seven years. The thing though, and I have experienced this is like the uh, hormone level does go down. So you have like, it's called, there's a, there's a term for it. It's like the Mirena drop off or something. So you'll feel that like you're not getting as many of the hormones and there are some changes. So some people still want to change the IUD more frequently, but in terms of like pregnancy, it is effective for seven years. Oh, the cool. other thing to note, yeah, is that the copper one lasts up to 12 years. Yeah. Um, and they can be painful to get yeah. in and out. Mine was very true. Very painful. I know some people yeah, it's so not bad. bad. For a lot of people, it's very bad. Um, I lived like two blocks from the place where I got it and I literally could not walk home. Um, at any rate, if you want to avoid that, maybe copper is <laughs> the way to go. You don't have to worry about it for 12 years. You know, that's as long as it takes a kid to get to fifth grade. That's a long time. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's true. It is also, I think I've heard people have like needing to get them removed much more regularly with the copper because of the pain that they create while they're in. So there's, I would just say, do your research. Yes, is exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> really don't, don't make your decision based on what a podcast tells you to do. These are just our experiences and what you know what we have you know what we've read what we know but but I would say talk to your healthcare provider do your research if they tell you it's not going to hurt they're probably wrong yeah Um, yeah but maybe you'll be lucky who knows yeah yeah but I do love having one I mean it's so nice to like you don't have to think about taking the pill every day or like doing the nuvering every three weeks or whatever like you're just set on that front so you yeah. probably won't get a period anymore if you have the marina. However, I do break out and get bloaty once a month. Mm. Yeah, I still have PMS symptoms, but I don't have like a period. It so seems really, really unfair, but uh, <laughs> I could take that up with the makers of marina, I guess. We not, can fight. We'll not fight our them. listeners. <laughs> um, should we move on to the next question? Yeah. Yeah. So the next yeah. one that came in says... I'm a queer person who's currently single and trying to mingle in these times. Do you have any thoughts about ways to meaningfully make digital connections to your online dating now that are strong enough to be in-person connections when, quote, this is, quote, over? <laughs> I I love the quotes on this and over, to be yeah. honest. I felt <laughs> yeah, that I liked that deep too when bones. I first read it. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, I have lots of ideas. Well, as a queer woman, um, and I also know a lot of queer non-binary folks who, like, part of our trademark is is dating long distance because there are so few of us in any given place, or at least, like, hard, it's, it's harder to meet people. So, um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of ways to meaningful meaningfully connect I do think FaceTiming is in a big way like FaceTiming or Zooming or however like digitally connecting and hanging out is the best way. And I know we had another question just kind of like wanting to talk about Zoom dates. So I maybe we can kind of lump these things together a little bit. Um, I've had well it was before I really used Zoom. So I guess I called it was like FaceTime dates. Um, I've had FaceTime dates with long distance people before um you can always plan like 
you can have drinks together. You can have, you can decide like that each of you are going to pick your favorite poetry book and like read each other a couple poems back and forth from your books over the thing and like, I don't know, light candles in your space. There's totally ways to make it feel special still. And like you can still feel like butterflies and all of that. And of course, like the reality is the nature of relationships are going to be strained and a little bit difficult um, because there is something about in-person connection. And what it does seem about these times is that there will be a time when there's at least like a decrease in things where maybe you and another person decide to like make a decision where for the next wave you want to try to like be together for it so I don't know I think there's um I think that it will matter to be in person at some point and maybe if you're in the same city you can you can do like a social distance walk or with masks or something um and just try to think of like all the fun dates you would want to do with someone like try to just be as creative as possible like anything you think that you would have fun doing another person would probably have fun doing too yeah on the I feel like not being so this is not coming from a place of experience I should say um in terms of like trying to start something new in a time of quarantine um, but I think that like trying is better than not trying probably like it's going to be weird, but like, it's better to have something than to have nothing like Definitely. on the topic of zoom dates, even when you're not using zoom for work, it can be so intense. Um, part of, partly because a lot of people are using it for work. So it has like a work feel to it, at least for me, um, using a different app even can like make me feel like I'm not at work. So if you are somebody who's using zoom a lot for work purposes, it might be good to like try a FaceTime date or do like talk on the house party app or um, do Skype instead of Zoom just because the interface will not remind you of work. Um, That would be one piece of advice. But like no matter how you slice it in like a video chat context, you have so much eye contact. Like it's weird to look away in the way that you would when you are in a normal conversation like you're not constantly staring at each other when you're like having dinner with somebody you're like looking down at your plate but if you're just like well now it's zoom time even if you're just hanging out with a friend you don't stare into their eyes the whole time or stare into a mirror where you're looking at yourself it's this weird like it's such a weird like imitation of human contact Mm. so like of course it's gonna feel kind of off and not quite right Um, and if, so if you have a a zoom date or a Skype date or whatever, and it feels a little bit weird, like, I don't think that means that you did anything wrong. I think it means that you had a Skype date, you know, and it's just not going to feel the same, but like most of us need some form of human connection. So I would say keep going on Skype dates if that's what you need to do. Um, Yeah. And just remember, if it makes you feel any better, I hosted an entire Zoom prom and it was extremely awkward for everyone involved, including Zoe and Kellen. (laughs) We had a great time. (laughs) But, you know, they still it's like that's what but when you really think about it, that's what prom was anyways. And human interaction is already really awkward. So don't stress about it because just because it's like 
feeling extra awkward in this digital way. It honestly probably does feel that awkward in person. We're just like fixating on it. <laughs> also, like if the date's really awkward, just hang up and tell them your internet died. It's oh my like- god, I'm so sorry. My phone, I forgot to charge it. No, I exactly. can't charge it and call you back. Like, I'm- no, I'm not texting you from my phone. What are you? <laughs> it's dead. <laughs> there have definitely been in person dates where I wish I could just like hang up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a big mood. That's a big like, first uh, date mood. Especially. I don't have Wi-Fi anymore. I can't talk to you. <laughs> I think another thing that you can do is like watch a show or a movie together and like live tweet it at each other. That, yeah. that can be like a low stakes way of like, I mean, I wouldn't recommend that for your first interaction, but if you're like, oh, there's this person I like, I want to spend time with them zoom stuff makes me nervous i would like to have an alternative to use alongside zoom dates as like a way to get to know them popping something on the tv or your laptop more likely and watching it together i think it can be like a really fun way to do things i know that personally i've grown many friendships out of watching the bachelor and texting about how terrible men are uh to people across the country so if it worked for me to, you know, make friends, I'm sure that you can find love that way. Yeah. Honestly, that's Would the point of the show. Would you say that you found love right? in a hopeless place? Or- <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Also, plug for this app, Netflix Party. It's like an extension on Google Chrome. It's free. And then when you're on Netflix, you send the other person the link. And so it gives you like a chat on the side. And when like one person pauses, it pauses for both. So you're like synced and you can like chat about it. Um, so it's like a fun way to watch things together. I think that would be a really fun date. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not the same as Netflix and chill, but it's Netflix and chat, <laughs> you know. This is good yeah, as it's Netflix and chat is the new norm for right now. Netflix yeah. and C H. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, we had a we had another question. Do we feel good to move on? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we had another question about um, consent and sexting because this person wrote, it seems it feels like sometimes there are less clear boundaries, especially since you can't interpret other person's body language and facial expression. How do you go about na- navigating that? Um, Good question. Yeah, great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just was like, I have thoughts, exclamation point. Go for um, it. Yeah. Uh, a big thing to remember is that sex and sexting is all about having a really good time, feeling good in your body, and having the other person feel really good too. Um, I think that the number one thing to remember <laughs> is that if someone gives you feedback, don't take it as a negative. Remember, no one knows how to perfectly turn on another person ever. And if we did, that would honestly be so boring anyways. So be open to feedback and say that up front even. I think it can be really helpful and make a better experience for you, both in a sexting context and in a sex context. Um, And I think it's hot when you know the other person wants to prioritize your own pleasure. So um, I like to also have an upfront conversation about boundaries and a conversation about consent. Like, hey, if this feels weird at any time, please let me know and we can definitely stop at any time. Or is there 
are there cues I should look for um, if you're not into this, but you don't know how to vocalize that? Um, because I think for some people, too, it's really hard for them to tell someone that they're not enjoying what's happening. They don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think kind of creating a space where you can you can help another person out who maybe doesn't feel as comfortable. Like say you've sexted before and so you're not as like freaked out by it, but it might be someone's first time. And while they are interested in it, um, it might not be something they've ever done before. So definitely, you know, I like to take initiative and like model what I'd like to see the other person do. And then if they don't do that back to me, then it's like bye forever. I don't know. What are we talking about? (laughs) Yeah. I think, Uh, like a a sort of the flip side of that coin too is that like it's important to be really receptive to other people's signals yes so like if you feel like you're getting a like less than warm reception from somebody then like the best thing to do would be to do like to to be explicit and be like oh is this you know did I step over a line if so I'm sorry just let me know yeah like be I know that for me I'm I, unless I'm like, have known somebody pretty for a while, I get, I'm like not super comfortable with sexting. Mm-hmm. Um, just because if it, it, there's something about it that feels, there's something about writing something out that feels like really intimate to me, mm-hmm. sometimes in a way that other forms of intimacy don't. Um, I guess that's a topic for my therapist, but regardless, <laughs> like, I, I would be if, like, you know, um, we all get DMs, like, and not just from men. Um, I, I'm like, not super comfortable with things going in like a sexual direction if I don't know the person super well, again, via text. Um, but I'm also, I don't want to just be like, oh, I feel like this is heading in a type of way. Let me shut it down it's an uncomfortable position to be in too yeah so I think that like if you're the person that's trying to spearhead a sexting situation to it's really really incumbent on you to like be attentive to the other person's signals and like try to be explicit with your with your intentions and like also know that if somebody's like oh I'm not sure that I want to do this maybe that means they're not into you and like that might be another conversation that you should have explicitly maybe it means that they're just not into sexting if they've only had one zoom date with you yeah like maybe they would just rather have another zoom date I don't know totally yeah but like the only way to figure that kind of stuff out is to like have conversations about it yeah that is like pretty much what I was gonna say as well And I think this goes for, like, when you're having in-person sexual interactions or sexting or whatever, like, if, yeah, once you have, like, an established relationship with someone or, like, an established whatever sex connection, like, you can probably read the other person better. When that's first starting off, maybe you can't. And if you're not comfortable enough to just ask them, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Like, if you're not sure if someone is interested and you don't feel comfortable asking, it's you're probably not there. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point, Zoe. Yeah. No, <laughs> I kind of, if went you into can't this say with, like, with guns are you into me? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Then like, mm. yeah, no, it's gotta be like kind of obvious. Like I feel like it. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll know. know, you'll know what's but, happening. Like make sure, like double check, ask the person. Um, that's why, yeah, when people are really weird in, like, about telling the other person, like, 
what they want or stuff like that. It's like, it doesn't seem like you should be having sex together that if you don't feel like you can talk about your needs. Mm. Just got to talk about stuff. All right. And that's not to say that it's easy, right? Like, no, it's really hard. It's so hard. It's yes. so hard. And and I think people think that it's not hard for everyone, but I think it is hard for everyone. Yes. And everyone's absolutely. just kind of like struggling absolutely. through it. It's we're not really trained to to know what we like, especially no, because, if we yeah. were socialized as women. Right. And it's like also we were talking about like sex out with the birth control stuff. My sex ed did teach us about birth control, but it's like we didn't learn about pleasure or like having sex for fun. It was like, mm-hmm. if you have sex, you might get pregnant. Here's what you can do about it. Yeah. But like, yeah, we don't really talk about like consent or pleasure or like any of those things. Mine was about literally what the mean girls uh, pregnancy sex ed <laughs> thing was about. Was if you have sex, oh, you will get pregnant and die. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out Charlotte School. Oh, yeah. Fox no, we had, we had abstinence-only people come and speak to our public school. So mm-hmm. it's fucked wow. up. It's so fucked up. Yeah. I didn't have that, but it was just very, like, just very textbook. Like, I remember having – I had a bunch of different – like, it was all the gym teachers that taught it. But when we had one of the, like, women gym teachers, she was, like, telling us how to, like, pleasure a man. And I was just like, okay. Oh. Wow. It's very weird. That should, um, the fact that that came before like yourself is just so fucked up. Yeah, like that's the weird part. <laughs> um, we didn't have any of that. We were like, we got a thing that was like, if you shave your legs, it'll grow back differently. This was a thing. I <laughs> this is all I remember from fifth grade sex ed. Don't shave your legs because you're you'll be a hussy, and also you'll have to keep shaving your legs for the rest of your life. Um, yeah, and then in like not true. And then, yeah, right. That is not, that was literally somebody from the science museum. And no, then, I learned that too, right? It like makes it thicker or something. It, false. And then yeah. in eighth grade, we got, here's a bunch of pictures of genital warts. Uh, if mm, you have mm-hmm. sex, you will get pregnant and die. Yeah. I did also have the like STD scare stuff, but no. Okay. But this is like, whatever. It's maybe TMI, but we're here for this episode. The first time I had an orgasm, I did not know what was happening. Like I didn't know what yeah, it was. Same. I think that's <laughs> I was just normal. like, whoa, wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's normal. Well, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Things have really gone off the rails here. Um, but yeah. I love it in the best possible way. Well, what are we here for, you know? We're not we're not answering your questions anymore. We're just sharing information about our lives. If we can like celebrate it, our best change. friends' orgasms. What can we celebrate, to be honest? <laughs> All right, moving on. The next person says This is a bit of a tone shift, but it's fine. This person writes, How can a separation, moving out or otherwise, be as mentally healthy as possible these days? Uh, what would you say to a friend whose divorce or marriage dissolution is hampered by COVID-19? What would you say to a friend that feels an increased yearning to return to their former partner or even their former home if they've felt increasingly lonely or depressed in these unprecedented times? And they wrote that in like uppercase, lowercase. So that's why I read it funny. I wasn't like SpongeBob meme. Yeah. (laughs) Times. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I like this is such a good and such a tough question. 
Yeah. So I think, I think the biggest thing I would want to say, because these are, this is like a bunch of different questions. I can't tell if the, what would you say to a friend is like the person asking or if they have a friend in this situation, but like whoever it is that's in the situation, I think the biggest thing for that person is to have self-compassion to know that like stuff is harder than normal for everybody right now. And stuff is going to be especially harder than normal if you have these other like sort of comorbid as physicians would say these comorbid things going on. Um, and like to really cut yourself some slack for wanting something that might not be healthy or might not be right because at least it's a known entity. And a lot of times I think that the known is less scary than the unknown. And I think that like everything feels like an unknown right now. Um, mm. So the main thing I would want to say just to like start off with is to not make things harder on yourself by being uncharitable or unkind to yourself mm -hmm. right now. Um, as for as for experiencing something like a separation, I just wanted to say first of all that you should know you're not alone. Um, of course, like like I said, most people's lives feel like they've been put on hold or thrust into limbo right now. But for people going through something like divorce, that's only extra true. Like you're extra on hold, extra in limbo. Um, you know, I don't know what this person's partner is like or what the reasons for the dissolution are, but if it was a good relationship in some ways, maybe this situation can be a small blessing for you. Like, you know, as terrible as things are, I'm not in any way trying to make light of, of literally like mass death, but like, maybe this is the time where, you know, you've been given this extra time to learn how to be friends with this person or how to love and communicate with each other, even when you're not partners in the same way that you used to be. You know, if you are the type of people who wanted to stay in each other's lives after a breakup, this this time might be teaching you how to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, I am. I'm kind of also reading the question as like if like they had moved out, and because right. like a, it's not clear. Yeah, from the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you it, right, which is the other side is right. like well, there's two other sides. One other side of this is if you're in a bad situation or mm. a dangerous domestic situation, right. then yes. like none of the above applies. Right. Um, that's not how I read the question, but I think it needs to be said. Yeah, that, like, of course. If you're stuck in a scary place, then like, Get don't, it's not a blessing in any sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If you've moved out and you're yearning for somebody that you used to be with, that's also sort of a different question. And like, I think that, that's a situation where you have to tread really, really lightly and know that like you've made decisions such as dissolving a relationship for a reason. Um, and that like, this may not, that like you're in a position of, of, you know, loneliness right now and that loneliness isn't the best reason to start a relationship back up again on the other hand I don't know how bad the situation was and you know trying to like temporarily make things work again so that you don't feel the crushing despair of loneliness every day <laughs> I'd not be the worst thing honestly yeah. like I'm not yeah. saying that I mean I'm being flippant but like that's a judgment call that you have to make and I'm yeah. sure there are a lot of people who are having quarantine get back together situations yeah because it's better than the alternative. And that's fair. Like, you're not weak for doing that. Yeah. Um, so I have kind of a, 
a story that I feel like relates to this. It's it's definitely different, but it kind of is a testament to what you were just saying, Kellen, about the loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a lot of our listeners know, my stepdad passed away this year. Um, and so my mom not only has been battling like the grief of that, um, like the we we had the the memorial in Florida the first weekend in March and then like we all went my siblings and I all went back to our respective homes and then quarantine happened and I was like planning on going back down to see my mom pretty soon after that um for some different health stuff she had going on but then of course all this happened and I couldn't get down there so not only did my mom like lose her lifelong partner but she's also completely isolated she doesn't have those like friends and things like that and she has started dating and I at first was like a little weirded out because I just was like I don't I don't understand I feel so soon but at the same time like my stepdad wanted her to do that and she like had a loving beautiful partnership for so long that like she wants that again um and so it's it's like it's confusing to me because I would need more time but you know everyone is different for what their needs are and what they need to survive and like all the things that they're going through and like obviously in that situation it's not like getting back with an ex but it is like a potentially scary thing like in a similar way uh uh, to something like that like there's risk involved and you know she's just going for it and I do find that kind of inspirational <laughs> yeah I mean also I mean it's a it's a really lonely time it's hard not to be able to see friends or anything and I think it makes sense to kind of gravitate towards you know more like flirting or whatever um dating if that I I, I don't know whatever <laughs> but um like, you know, like wanting attention from other people and wanting to be able to talk to other people. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, you know, maybe what is actually best for you isn't to re-quarantine with somebody you've broken up with, but to start going on Zoom dates, you know, like fire up your dating apps and see who wants to go on Netflix party with you. Maybe that's a better way for you to like get some human contact. I don't know. I don't. It's 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 hard to say. Like the only person that can answer this question really is the person who who asked it or their friend. I'm not sure which. Um, yeah. But either way, we're rooting for you. You know, <laughs> we want you to be happy. Oh yeah, we do. All right. Cool. Do you want to read the next one? Sure. I have a crush on someone I work with. I can't see her anymore because of quarantine. We've been texting, but not as often as I'd like. And I can't tell if she likes me as more than a friend or even if she's gay. How do I read text messages for intent? <laughs> I love oh, wow. this question. It's made for queer women. I'm so <laughs> <laughs> I can show you how to answer this. <laughs> I love it. I love this question so much. Um, So the first thing I would think back to is think back to all the interactions you have had with this person and does she know you're gay if she doesn't she may be thinking the same thing um so that's important and then i i think emojis are for me a great way to understand intent and there's enough 
ambiguity that you can get away with it. Like, even if you send a kissy face emoji, you know, it she could just like play it off and send like sunglasses emoji back. But if she sends a kissy face, you emoji know, for back, example, for a random example, <laughs> if if she were to respond with like the heart eyes emoji, then, you know, I would just like keep kind of like testing business, testing the waters like I think, but I don't think there's, I think if you, if you're too paralyzed and you're not sending any emojis, that's also sending a cold signal on your own behalf. So like Mm. you need to at least, cause, cause you're feeling a very nervous vulnerability. Well, I'm sure she is too. That's literally all gay relationships with women is, is we're just (laughs) like, like having a heart attack being like, okay, I don't know. Like my girlfriend and I now, we went on like four dates before we kissed each other and we had to text about it first because we were both so nervous that the other person wasn't potentially interested in it even even after we had been on four dates with each other yeah I think that's a really good point for queer women because like this is something I've thought about a lot like a lot of the examples we have for like relationships and how to flirt and how to like court someone are from like heteronormative examples yeah and so it can be really confusing of like oh, like, not, like, I would never want to, like, creep someone out or, like, come on Mm. too strong, but therefore I just, like, do nothing and, like, act like we're friends. (laughs) Well, and the thing that I I used to feel that way, too, I used to feel like I don't want to feel predatory towards other women, but then I thought to myself, if, like, a beautiful woman was hitting on me or if a woman was hitting on me, as long as they were being respectful, would I feel grossed out? No, I would feel flattered. Um, Yeah, for sure. And so it's, like, you got to take the, out of your brain the predatory aspect because you are a respectful person if you're even asking this question because you're clearly like thinking about it and wanting to go about it in these right ways. Yeah, for sure. Word. Cool. Cool. <laughs> um, the next question is, how do you keep the division of labor with a male partner more fair? Mm. For some context, he's an essential worker and the head of a local activist group working on unemployment and housing rights. So he's ridiculously busy himself, but he's not in the house like I've been. And I'm reading this as sh- this person has also been really busy in the house. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. That was my sense as well. Yeah. Just because like... I think that's what is is the hard thing. Like, I do think, you know, I I think that there can be an argument for a distribution of labor. Like if you were someone who lost your job and had nothing going on and someone was like doing all these things and essential work, like you could do more in the home and I could see that being okay, which still pains me because I think men should do a lot of the labor at home. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do think that it's, I've, I've, I've had to have this conversation with my ex who is a, um, a man, uh, and I think that there's something to it. Uh, I think there are a lot of things that men don't understand to even look for in terms of a housing cleanliness and housing chores. Uh, I've I've found that way at least because we have been trained from such a young age um, 
like by any of your family parties like the women cleaning up in the kitchen after things like there's there's this there is this division of labor that is embedded in our society and what we've observed and seen forever and so I feel like you have to kind of treat men like they're maybe not aware and I don't mean that necessarily to belittle them because I think a lot of men want to know what to do but I think a lot of them honestly don't like they don't see like dust bunnies or things. I don't know. Like I just feel like sometimes they're, I'm just like, I remember being like, how are you not seeing this dirt? And he's just like, I don't know. I just don't know how to see it. So I think that that <laughs> I don't see domestic labor. <laughs> yeah, I'm realizing that this is just making my ex sound like an asshole. He's not. He is actually like a person who genuinely wanted oh. to have a division of labor be fair no but I think that's a good point it's yeah. like a lot of men in my experience don't even realize how many like domestic labor like chores or tasks there are so yeah. they'll do like one thing they maybe like take out the trash or like do the dishes and then they feel that they've equally contributed yes. I think there's actually been studies about this where like men do less but feel like it's been equal yes um and yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously something that's, like, important to address. And, yeah, I, but yeah, I think, like, men literally just don't realize how much goes into it because yeah. they were not socialized to do all exactly. I Exactly. Just in terms of, like, practical solutions, um, I, I live with a man, and um, we divide household chores between the two of us. Um, and, like he is required to work longer. I'm a grad student. So like, I do have a lot of work, but I can make my own schedule. And he has a lot of work and is doing it on someone else's time. We're both working from home, but it's a lot easier for me to like take a break from my work to do something than it is for him. Mm. Um, And what that ended up, sort of the situation that ended up creating is that I ended up just doing a lot more work. And like, I think in terms of who has the time to do work, sometimes it's true that I have more time. Other times I have a deadline coming up and I don't. Um, But we got in a habit where I was doing more work than he was. Um, And actually just earlier this week, we finally had a conversation about it because it's become even more unbalanced in the era of COVID because it's like added so much more time to certain kinds of tasks so anything that you have to do especially if you're living in a place where you're like in an apartment you're in a dense city situation anything you do you're doing where you're leaving the house or just leaving you know your apartment requires a lot of extra time I have to put on a mask and gloves even to like go move throughout my building that's like a requirement that my building now has that I have a mask on And so like taking out the trash, doing laundry, but good God, going on a grocery store run. I like that doing, getting groceries takes almost three hours um, because of like the walk, the getting ready, the walk, the waiting in line to get into the grocery store, the actual moving through the grocery store, the waiting to get the groceries out of the grocery store the repacking them into my own bags because you can't take groceries. You, they don't pack them into your bags. Now the t- taking it home and the wiping stuff down. Once you get home, all of it takes so much more time in this era. And so like I had to have a conversation 
where I was like, look, this isn't, this balance isn't working anymore because doing laundry takes way longer than it used to. And like, I need more help. And I think that just like, it sounds like this person's partner is like a good dude, but being like, Hey, I know you're busy, but I'm busy too. And like, we have to value my time as well. Mm -hmm. And here's, you know, this is how things have changed. Like, I think that's a conversation that it sounds like you guys can have. Um, and it sounds like something that he might be amenable to. And if he's not amenable to it, then like, you know, if it doesn't get through to him after, you know, this conversation, then like, I think maybe some reevaluation needs to get done. You need to try again. I don't know. But like, it, I think that the, a lot of the good news is, is that they can be made to see. I know for me, it worked. And like half the battle is just finding if you're going to be in a relationship with a man, finding somebody who's worth being in a relationship with. And then like, once you get there, you can kind of work on some stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a friend whose partner just moved out. Um, they had been living together and uh, she works full-time from home. I think he was also working full-time. I don't know as much about his side of this because I heard it all from my friend. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so she loves cooking. She does all the cooking. She does like really extravagant meals. That's like her like happy place. And then afterwards she would like ask him to do the dishes and he would only do the dish that like he had used and like not hers and he, Are you kidding me? Oh my yeah, God. and he, like, didn't see why he should have to do any chores that weren't, like, deliberately, like, his own mess. It's just them living together and her dog. Um, and, yeah, so ultimately they decided for him to move out because that was not working. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, like... I think it's important that like, yes, men are not socialized to do all of these things. And maybe they do need to be like, talked to about it and we can have these conversations, but also it's like, okay to be really annoyed about it. And yeah. to like, if someone is not open to having these conversations and taking on more of the do domestic labor, it's okay to be like, I cannot be with this person. Like we, we don't have to keep doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. We're not telling you to break up with this person, though, just to be clear. No, just have a conversation. But, like, if he refuses, then maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's time. Yeah, but I don't see that happening. I think you can have a nice conversation about it, and it will be okay. <laughs> but you do need to, like, advocate for... Yeah, yeah. you have to advocate for yourself. Make Absolutely. it happen. Lean and in. It's too bad that that's, like, how things work, but that's the world that we are living in. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer. Well. <laughs> Let's do it. Cool. So we also had submitted to us a classified ad from someone on Twitter. This is the um, season of the bitch first. Yeah, this is the season of the bitch first. This is maybe something, I don't know, maybe we'll start offering it. We'll see how it goes. This first thing I love this. I know, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> um, if someone like falls in love through the classifieds that they placed on the season of the bitch revolutionary We have to ordain the wedding. We're yeah. ordaining the wedding. We're, we're all getting invites to that wedding. Yeah, <laughs> or like domestic partnership or whatever you would like to do. We're invited yeah. um, and we're ordaining. So anyway, uh, Laura, do you want to read it? Um, sure. <laughs> 29 slash F in parentheses, she, her. Ecology grad student, consultant biologist with a 
a gardening problem, seeks cutie of any gender to shower with affection, must love memes, animals, and bad selfies. Vegans encouraged. DMs open from Vic, um, whose handle is at Wooly Blue Hearts, which we'll put in the description. Why not? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know that's, what? Hit her up, okay? Yep. That's Wooly with two L's. This is on Twitter. I don't know if it carries over to Instagram, but on Twitter, yeah. Wooly Blue Hearts. Yep. All right. That's it. That's our show. You love to see it. <laughs> cool. This was fun. I love doing these episodes because I just too. love talking to you guys about these things because it's fun. Yeah. Likewise. Okay, well, that was obviously so fun. And, you know, as always, you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Season of the Bee. And we do these kind of perennially. So, uh, you know, always feel free to send us stuff. And maybe we'll just have like an ongoing document like we do for the Roasted series where we can kind of like, I take, like that idea. take romance queries. So if you if you have any any queries to send us, you can DM us them. Um, we are also recruiting new hosts, like we said at the beginning. Applications due May 25th. Information is also uh, in our bios of Instagram and Twitter at Season of the Bee. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. You can give us your money on Patreon, at which is patreon.com slash season of the bitch. We've been doing lots of Patreon stuff. We've been having Patreon only um, episodes as well as we've been doing a bunch of Patreon watch shows watch parties so if you're yeah, interested so fun. in watching some shows with us you should totally join us we like talk about it and hang out and have conversations throughout the movie and and get to watch a bunch of different things with some comrades it's great and it's generally the only time we interact with men which is also fun um <laughs> so if you're a man and you've wanted your your chance to talk to us here's your chance it's generally through those things true um, yeah good point <laughs> anything else i think that's everything just that i love you love you so much love you love you, love Bye. you. Bye. Bye. season of the bitch <laughs>